As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, the taming of the Wolves, Chelsea head to Milan and the Academy sides make it a perfect weekend. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. What a week it's been in the world of Chelsea Football Club, listener. All is well. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined today by two Chelsea experts. First, from The Athletic is Liam Toomey. How are you doing, Liam? It's going well. It's going a bit too well. Hello. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Jesse Parker Humphreys is also back with us. How are you doing, Jesse? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, it's all a bit more enjoyable at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, oddly pleasant and still, which is not very Chelsea. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, let's start then with Saturday's game at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, brilliant! His first Chelsea goal, and it's a beauty! What a big moment for that young man. Just really, really happy, you know, the emotions started kicking in and yeah, it was just a um, surreal moment for me and for my family. Um, even better, you know, because my dad's birthday today, so um, ah. yeah, got a goal for him, which was even better. And uh, and yeah, so just really happy all round, you know, the performance from the boys was amazing also. So um, yeah, it was just a great day today. Through hellfire and brimstone, brackets, train strikes, engineering works on the district line, closed brackets. They came to Stamford Bridge to see if Chelsea could make it three wins in a week. They did. Simon Johnson was there for the Athletic. He sent us this voice. And the final whistle has just gone. Chelsea three, Wolves nil. Um, if a certain beer manufacturer did perfect days, then uh, I'm sure Graham Potter will think this is uh, one of them because... Um, not only is it all about the three points, but Potter he made seven changes from the team that demolished AC Milan in midweek. A lot of people will say, and I must admit, I was one of them. I had a kickoff, was thinking, oh, why make so many changes to a winning side? But as regular listeners uh, will come to understand, and I'm sure they understand already, what do I know? Um, yeah, they were. It's paid off basically. Seven changes, not not just that, but. People that needed a goal got one. Ty Havertz, just before half-time, looping header. 
1-0. He really needed that, especially when he's up against the likes of uh, Aubameyang for a starting place. You can hear just now um, the fans clapping Potter off. Um, he's just been on the pitch to acknowledge his players, uh, fans returning kind. Pulisic, he needed a goal too. And in fact, I can see him signalling uh, to someone he obviously knows up in the East Stand, middle. He looks quite happy. Lovely finish for the second goal. Then Broya comes on, gets his first Chelsea goal. Fantastic finish, just what he needed. Um, he's shown lots of flashes coming off the bench. That'll do his confidence wonders. But the way he took it, absolutely sublime. We also saw a debut off the bench for Carney Chikwemeka. Great for him. He's just been uh, just had a shared a hug with a member of the backroom staff. It's a great moment for him. So all in all, yeah, this is uh, there's a little bit of momentum building here. That's three straight wins for Graham Potter. Um, Chelsea playing with a bit more confidence, and uh, yeah, it's it's looking quite good. They've now got a trip to Milan, of course, with the uh, the Champions League. They'll hope to carry on the momentum there, but I think what we've seen over the last few days, the last few games, is that it's just emphasised how strong this squad is. You can make all these changes, you can bring players off the bench, and the quality is there. What a great job that Graham Potter's got. He must be thinking it's not just his pay that's gone up since leaving Brighton, but uh, he must be thinking, wow. What a luxury of resources he's got to work with. Okay, as I wrap these up, I can see Kepa, Koulibaly, Azpilicueta, Mason Mount, just completing their little laps of appreciation, applauding the fans. What a difference a few weeks makes. The mood around here is so much more upbeat. Are we using voice notes now to pitch potential sponsors for the pod? <laughs> we could do that. I'll bear that in mind when I go to Aston Villa this weekend. <laughs> yeah, get in touch with The Athletic if you want to do that and you're a big brand, by the way. Um, an addendum to the voice note that I received in the form of a late-night WhatsApp from Simon on Saturday. Can you do a line after my voice note is due to be played on the pod saying something along the lines of, moments after he recorded this voice note, Simon realised he'd made the unforgivable mistake of not mentioning Costa and the fantastic reception he got on his return to Chelsea in a Wolves shirt. Um, consider it done. We'll get to the game shortly, Liam, but I want to start with Diego Costa. Um, my Chelsea TV colleague Ben Andrews said he looked like Ron Burgundy when he comes out the bar all dishevelled, covered in milk. Um, and I can't stop thinking about that now. It, it was the perfect return from a Chelsea supporter's perspective, wasn't it? He was barely involved. He didn't get anyone sent off. And then he managed to exit the pitch when he got subbed at the point where he could do a full lap of honour like it was half time, And, you know, he was an ex-player from the 70s or something. Oh, he he gave it the full testimonial treatment. Certainly, um, I, I think uh, yeah, Costa's natural showmanship came to the fore there. But it was yeah, as you say, kind of the ideal ex legend return, where they're never in danger of actually causing serious problems for their former club. I think he put one dangerous cross in from the right in the first half, um, but never actually threatened the goal himself. Never really looked like he would. Looked generally a shadow of the player that he had been in his Chelsea pomp and then yeah was was just happy to soak in the adulation and I'm sure he got plenty of hugs and and hellos from the Chelsea players that he still knows well that are in this squad it was it was nice to see it was also quite funny because you think of some of the players who sort of achieved comparable things to Costa at Chelsea but maybe weren't as likable 
and the kind of receptions that they would get. You know, I'm thinking someone like Thibaut Courtois. And when you consider how much more publicly Costa lobbied to leave the club for virtually his entire three years at Chelsea, it's just quite funny. And I think it shows just how much of this fan connection stuff is personality-based rather than purely what you achieve. Of course, Costa was a great player for Chelsea, but it's I think it's partly the type of player that he was that fans identified with and also the glimpse that they got into his personality. You know, I could see it when Costa was at Chelsea, whenever whenever there were occasions when players engaged with fans or community days or things like that, Costa was always the number one request from supporters and he was and particularly young fans as well and he was absolutely great with them. And I think that's built him a kind of bed of affection that's withstood everything, withstood the acrimony of his departure, withstood everything that's happened since. And I think it, you know, he'll he'll always be warmly received at Stamford Bridge because of that, in spite of the the trials and tribulations of of his actual time as a player. Jesse, you're a Chelsea supporter. Would you go along with that? Yeah, and I think there is definitely that personality thing. I think comes across very strong, and I think there's an element of also it being such a short and sweet time that you don't get the opportunity maybe to see a player start to decline or fall out of form that, you know, the ending came so kind of abruptly, even though obviously it's something that kind of felt like it'd been in the works for ages, that it allowed a player who maybe when you take a step back, you're like, oh, is you know, quite a strange player to achieve this like sort of legendary status. But because of how how short that time was that it it becomes much more. And I think also the fact that I think he lucked out in terms of playing in the team that he did. Because I think for me, you do just also associate Costa with Hazard and Fabregas and, and all of these other players who, who are very high quality. And that almost, I think, took him to another level, even beyond just his goal scoring too. Yeah, bless him. Uh, whether we'll see him again remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, in terms of Chelsea then, Liam, Simon mentions the seven changes. I, I was at the game and, and I'm still not 100% sure whether they were playing a back four or a back three, which is kind of classic Graham Potter, right? We're all supposed to just make our best guess. He knows the plan, though. Formations are a state of mind. You, you've got <laughs> to get past this, Matt. I've, I've given up trying to try and arrange Chelsea's players in a tweet or or in a message on Slack before I've actually seen them line up on the pitch because you just make yourself look foolish. But it, it was, yeah, absolutely as fluid as we've seen under Potter in the previous games. Um, but the most impressive thing for me was, as, as you said, the seven changes, the fact that they were able to get such a sort of continuity in terms of the level of performance with so many different faces, I think shows that at least in these early days, it's always easier for a coach to do this when they come in to keep everyone engaged, to keep everyone invested, but you have to give them the minutes as well in order to maintain that. And we've seen with a lot of previous Chelsea coaches, whether it happens quickly or it happens slowly, eventually they settle on about 14 players that they actually trust and they tend to run them into the ground at the expense of everyone else while everyone else is just sort of grumbling from the sidelines. And Chelsea absolutely can't afford to do that in the run-up to the World Cup. They've got too many matches. There's too little recovery time. And they've got too much quality in the squad, to be honest. There are players that we haven't even seen start yet, Armando Breuer, chief among them, who are showing every time they get onto the pitch that they could do well 
in larger minutes. And um, and I think Potter's Potter's job, the, the the challenge of Potter's job is to do that, to find ways to do that in these across these different games without compromising that collective momentum and performance level. And I thought he did it well against Wolves. Let's talk about some of the individuals then, Jesse. Um, Cesar Azpilicueta, I thought, was really good in terms of the energy that he brought to the side playing right back slash right wing back. And, and Conor Gallagher, the same. The energy's kind of undeniable with him. But you can see the difference that goal's made to him in that he's not just chased himself around the pitch, desperately trying to do everything himself. He, he's thinking a bit more about the team now. So there's, there's two players who came in for this game and, and made an impact. Yeah, I thought... Conor Gallagher was outstanding in terms of his work rate, in terms of how good he looked going forward, linking up with with Ruben, with Aspi, but into also, you know, tracking back, making challenges inside our penalty area on the edge of the box. And it definitely felt like he was in a much more comfortable position. But I also think, and I think this is something that's going to be interesting to think about as, you know, Potter's time at the club goes on, is that there are lots of things where it feels like Tuchel has laid the framework and there is an alternate universe where, you know, does Conor Gallagher kind of improve in the way that we are seeing improve just because he is losing that nervous energy, he is getting more starts, he is getting played and he's starting to fit more into the team. You know, it was always going to be a big jump for him to to come into a new team, to build relationships with his teammates. And in some ways it feels like, I guess we'll never know, right? But interesting because, it, you know, it's tempting to be like, oh, you know, Potter's already using Conor Gallagher in this much better way that's really getting the best out of him. And I, I don't know if that is entirely true, but definitely it feels like he's in a much more comfortable position playing more advanced, but still being able to kind of get back and and do the dirty work, as it were. But I definitely thought, you know, him and Azpilicueta as well just teamed up really well when they were looking to kind of press... Wolves as they played the ball into midfield. Um, Connor just like coming into the midfield area himself so that when Asby turned the ball over, he had like the really simple pass for Connor then to turn and go. And I just felt like all of that worked really, really well. And, you know, I think also is testament to to the rotations because Azpilicueta looked so much more energetic than I've seen him look in a game for a very, very long time. Um, and obviously he hasn't been playing as much. It hasn't felt like there's been this this burden on him and it was exciting because I've always wondered whether he had the ability to kind of do the right back right wing backs thing still because I didn't know if he had the legs but I think also what Potter's looking for is and maybe we can maybe we'll touch on this when we talk about Christian Pulisic on the other side but he's not necessarily looking for a right wing back who's just going to sprint up and down he is looking for those more considered interior passes which I think you know, something that Azpilicueta has obviously still got in his locker. And some of his crosses into the box were that one in the first half where he just fizzed it across the six-yard box and there was no one there to tap it in, but it was re- really fantastic. Um, something you touched on on there about kind of the, the psychology, I think that's been really interesting to watch in the first few Potter games. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel, brilliant coach, did a great job for Chelsea. But I feel like with, with modern footballers, the sight of the coach kind of gently clapping his hands and calling you over for a pat on the back and a quiet word in the ear might be more effective than a German guy in a tracksuit screaming at you for an hour and a half. Yeah, well, I guess it's something that different strokes for, for different blokes, I guess. Like... <laughs> You know, I can see how for some players maybe you need that motivation. I think obviously the problem with Tuchel is that 
and with, with most managers in football, when it's going well, it doesn't matter if they're yelling at you because you, you feel like you're getting the results. No one's getting angry if you're being yelled at in the Champions League final and then going on to win. But if you're being yelled at whilst you're being absolutely pummeled by Leeds, you suddenly feel a lot different. And I think, again, that's just the natural. That's why you have a new manager bounce, right? Because someone comes in, someone has a bit of a different attitude. But if Potter gets a string of not so good results, which I think, you know, naturally might come and wouldn't necessarily be the death knell for Potter at Chelsea. But then you can easily suddenly sit back and go, well, look, he just, you know, it's he's too soft on the players. He's not motivating them. He's not pushing them. So I think clearly, you know, players react to having the change and, and getting to appreciate a different style of manager will work better for, for different players. But I don't know if one is inherently better than the other. Right, Liam's having some Wi-Fi issues, so while we wait for him to return, it's all on Jesse. Christian Pulisic scored a goal. I don't know about you, Jesse. I still see him as more of a, a squad player than a first-teamer. Yeah, I think so. But I think in the goal, we saw elements of the very best of Christian Pulisic. I still am not convinced about his ability to A, stay fit, or B, kind of reproduce that level week in, week out. I'm also not really convinced by him in the kind of quasi-left wing back position. And I think his goal kind of showed why. And I guess it's similar to what I was saying about Azpilicueta is that I think Pulisic is at his best when he's doing, you know, the quick give and goes, the take-ons, the trying to go past players. And at left wing back, he doesn't really, or at least in this game, wasn't really getting the room to do that. And I think Mason Mount actually was a player who bailed him out quite a lot of times because Mason Mount received some quite awful passes from him which he somehow managed to turn into into good opportunities but I still think he can he's got an important role to play especially when there's so many games coming up he's obviously got a great incentive right in terms of going into the World Cup with the US to to get on a good run of form and it looks like he'll get the minutes to to do that but I think for me I would prefer to see him further up the pitch although I understand why, if Potter's going to do this kind of rotating back four, back three, wing back thing, it makes sense to use him in that kind of position. I just don't think it gets the best out of him. So Simon wrote his post-match piece on how Kai Havertz still has a way to go to prove himself as a value signing. Uh, Saturday marked the first time that he'd scored in consecutive league games at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea. Simon then hightailed it to Milan before Liam could lay the smack down on him. Liam, your right of reply? Yeah, no, I think he should be doing more than this. Um, I think that's fair. But it's also fair to say that he played well against Wolves. I think he's, he did well against West Ham as well. It was a very nice goal at a crucial moment. Um, apparently, I was the only person on Chelsea Twitter that felt this. Um, but I felt that Chelsea, while doing a lot of good things in the first half, weren't always moving the ball quickly enough to really trouble Wolves, who are admittedly a very difficult team to look good against, even when they don't have a manager. And that goal in first half injury time just made all the difference. It, it's the kind of goal that they weren't finding on a regular basis in, in the sort of final months of Tuchel to really break open a game and put themselves in control. And um, it was a very nice header, one that Jose Sarr just, it seemed to almost glitch him and um, he didn't quite know where it was until it finally landed in the back of his net and then just looked completely confused. But no, Havertz does need to be doing more generally, especially when you have other guys, you know, Bamiyang scoring back-to-back games. 
Armando Breuer is looking super lively and scored a really good goal off the bench. There is more competition now than there has been in a long time for those forward spots. But what I would also say is that Havertz still offers slightly different things from those other two guys in terms of the ability to to help the team in possession, to take up really intelligent spaces between the lines and 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 link up with midfield runners. You know, I think he's got a good understanding with Mason Mount now, having played together for a long time. And it's just that end product with Havertz that we're still talking about. But we also have to remember as well that he's he's very, very young still. Uh, he's 22, 23. Um, he's not in his prime yet. So I think if he can benefit in the same way that we're seeing some of the other players benefit um, from the early weeks of Potter in terms of his confidence and the willingness to try things on the pitch, I think we might we might finally see the best version of him. Uh, before we move on from Wolves, a couple of words on Armando Breuer. I want to give shout-outs to, firstly, our friend Sam Parkin, who gets asked by me about Breuer every week, except the one show that he actually scores a goal when Sam is not. And also to producer Lucy's Albanian friend, who taught us how to pronounce his surname correctly. Uh, it was a really good goal, Jesse, was the thing that struck me. It had loads to do in terms of, you know, making room for the shot and then finishing it. And, and like with Gallagher last week, it, it's that kind of lift-off moment, isn't it? It's been a frustrating start to the season for him, I'm sure, having to make all these cameo appearances. But but he showed in that instant why he could be a valuable player to Chelsea for years to come. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, the tweet which um, mashed it up with the Diego Costa goal. That felt there. Although I do think the kind of Costa comparisons, I don't know whether it just comes because they're kind of tall and have dark hair and look quite cross all the time. But, um, Swarthy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but obviously the goals were very similar. Uh, yeah, I definitely think, you know, it would be a big boost confidence-wise and a great opportunity for him to kind of show what he can do and, and the quality that he has. I still think it's hard to see him playing much more than a bit part role, although there obviously are opportunities there, but definitely it feels like there's still some kind of polishing of him to go as a player. And I do think the, I guess, question around Havertz kind of ties into the Broyer thing, although also obviously Aubameyang comes into play as well. But it's I'm still not sure whether there's, three players competing for that position or whether we should be moving back. Now we've got two number nines again. So thinking about whether Havertz is better placed somewhere else on the pitch, because I feel like the Havertz, you know, playing as a central striker kind of just came out of necessity rather than, and he's had some great moments there as well. And I think it is a role that he can do well, but if we're still looking at question marks around whether he can be, you know, a regular goal scorer, his numbers in terms of attacking are, quite similar to Mason Mounts, for example. But we don't necessarily question Mason Mounts output because you're not expecting him to do that because he's not expecting to be there. So I think it will be interesting to see if Broyer does continue to get these cameos, if Aubameyang continues to score goals and have a good run of form, whether we'll start just thinking of Aubameyang and, and Broyer as being the kind of two alternates up there and whether it's worth thinking again about where Habits fits in elsewhere in attack. Yeah, plenty for Potter to ponder. Well, that win leaves Chelsea fourth in the Premier League table. They're four points behind third place Spurs. Eight adrift of Arsenal, the leaders, albeit they do have a game in hand on both of those sides. Well, next up for us and for Chelsea, a trip to the San Siro. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Sorry, guys, we're not actually going to the San Siro. Simon is, though. We'll hear from him on Thursday. Milan beat Juventus 2 0 at San Siro on Saturday. Fikayo Tamori scored. James Horncastle's got a piece on him up on The Athletic today. Uh, it's entitled Win Over Juventus was a reminder of the Tamori effect on Milan and response to setbacks. This after his struggles at Stamford Bridge last weekend and the rough start to the season generally that Tamori's had. One Italian tabloid described his performance last week as a horror show. Uh, which feels a little bit harsh. Uh, in terms of this game, Liam, are you going back to, to the bulk of the team that started against Milan last week? Uh, do you think we'll see another seven changes here? I don't know if it'll be the exact same in terms of personnel, but I do expect to see more or less the same the same sort of starting setup and core of starters that, that played so well at Stanford Bridge just because there's no real reason to change it. I don't think you... You necessarily expect Milan to set up drastically differently at home from the way they did in London. They might have a couple of players back, but apart from that, I think the the game plan in terms of stopping Milan building through the middle of the pitch, really trying to stop the ball getting to Rafael Leal, you know, these sort of core aspects will be will be the same, um, and it's it will be on the players that Potter picks to to execute as well as they did in that first game. I I think if there's one thing that game showed, it's that a win is not out of Chelsea's reach here. You know, if they play to their best level, I think they maybe have a gear that Milan don't have uh, to go to, but there will be a reaction. You know, Milan are a very proud team. They're a prestigious European club. They're at home. They've got expectant fans. They will be hurting after the manner of that defeat. And I'm sure that, you know, Chelsea will have to be prepared for to get the best version of Milan, the team that won Serie A last year, because I don't think they showed that in that first game. Therefore then, Jesse, if you're Graham Potter, are you approaching this in terms of your setup as must not lose or, or we can win here? Because obviously if Chelsea get a point, then they'll be above Milan on the head-to-head record, which is the, the differential, isn't it? Ahead of goal difference in, in Champions League group stages. I think you have to go into it and still think we can win, especially because of how comprehensive the, the performance was at Stamford Bridge. I think what will be interesting to see will be whether Milan come up with a solution to the fact that Rafael Leal just does not track back. Because I think if they don't do that and you put out the same kind of right side and allow Rhys James to just kind of trample up and down that that side of the pitch... Chelsea are going to create the same level of chances that that they did create last week. And so I wonder if for Potter, whether this will be 
you know, an interesting opportunity. If they do kind of make changes to, to deal with that, to, to see him kind of react in real time, it was quite interesting, I think, to to see him play kind of two opponents back to back. And I think, you know, actually that was something that Tuchel always really excelled in, in, in what you can kind of learn from a first leg to a second leg. Obviously, this is actually like a knockout tie, but it kind of takes on that that attitude, doesn't it? I think especially because of, of where Chelsea have ended up in, in the group. But I agree. I think, you know, Potter will want to obviously be able to continue the winning run to show that progress is being made. And I think, you know, by probably returning to a similar team that did start last week, really start to bed in with those players how he wants them to play. And I think, you know, to be able to go into next weekend having done having one four on the bounce would be um pretty impressive start after the slightly inauspicious one at Salzburg. Mm. It's Chelsea second in the group, a point behind Salzburg, ahead of Milan on goal difference. Uh Liam, give me a prediction for this game, please. Okay, I'll volunteer to look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> as I said, I think we will see a reaction from Milan, um, a much better performance. And I think I'll be I'll be sort of pleasantly surprised if Chelsea win again, if they're able to carry on this, this run. I do think it's possible, but I think it's going to be very, very difficult. I, I would go for a draw, probably 1-1. Jesse, you feeling any more optimistic than that? Yeah, I think Milan will score, but I think Chelsea will will find that extra gear that Liam referred to. And I'll go with a 2-1 Chelsea win. All right, I'll say 3-2 Chelsea. (laughs) Not going to happen, but it'd be a good game, wouldn't it, if it did? None of us went down the Joe Cole route, (laughs) (laughs) 4-0. This this will be the one. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get Joe on to make an accurate prediction, don't we? That's for sure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, it was a good weekend for the academy sides, the Dev Squad. 1-0 winners at West Ham, thanks to Lewis Hall's second goal of the week. Josh Brooking was sent off, but Chelsea held out their seventh in PL2. The under-18s won as well. A pair of Tyreek George goals gave them a 2-1 victory against Everton in the under-18 PL Cup. George later got sent off, but the win keeps Chelsea alive in the competition after they lost their first group game at Southampton. They're third in the group, level on points with Everton and three back from the Saints ahead of their final group game against Derby County on the 5th of November. At the under-19s are in UEFA Youth League action on Tuesday when they face AC Milan in Italy. They could really do with the win there too. Currently bottom of the section with two points from three games. Milan and Salzburg lead groupie with five points each. Uh, Liam, give us a little insight into what you've got on your writing plan for this week, please. Well, I'm on holiday for the second half of this week, so a uh, bit of a compressed one for me. But I'm I'm doing a piece which is not fully defined yet because it partly depends what happens in Milan on, on Tuesday, looking at the kind of tactical adjustments that Potter may or may, may not make between these two Milan games. Um, so we'll see how the second one plays out and then put that one together. And, uh, and then I'll be back in time to go to the Midlands for Aston Villa away. Lovely. See you there. 
Uh, Jesse, you went to King's Meadow this weekend uh, for Sam Kerr watch. Is she comfortable on the bench? Does she wear a, a jacket for the whole time? Did, was she out warming up with a bib on? Does she drink a lot of water? What, what did you learn? Well, obviously it was impossible to see because at King's Meadow, the substitutes bench is so far away from where you sit. It was a novelty. I almost couldn't really remember her walk across the pitch to go and sit down. I thought everyone was very polite. Normally at Chelsea, they'll just walk across the middle. But everyone, including Sam, walked all the way around the outside of, outside of the pitch. I don't know if they just felt because she was in an Australian kit that it would have been inappropriate. But she was sick. She was sick in the week, so she only got eight minutes. But hopefully... She'll be uh, fighting fit for when Chelsea head up to face Everton at the weekend. Nice. So this was a, a random friendly between Australia and South Africa that was played at King's Meadow. Something very satisfying about that. Uh, that will just about do us for today. Remember to head to athletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up. If you are not currently a subscriber, you can read all the great Chelsea content, which is up on the site now we'll be back on Thursday when we reflect on that game against AC Milan and look ahead to a big weekend for Chelsea too from all of us here though for now it is goodbye The Athletic Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.